0: On this episode of Common Mystics, we find ourselves in the midst of a twisted tale involving mobsters, malls, and murder against the picturesque backdrop of Devil's Lake, Wisconsin. What mysterious death took place here in the 1920s, and how was it connected to organized crime syndicates in both Milwaukee and Chicago? I'm Jennifer James. I'm Jill Stanley.
1: We're psychics. We're sisters.
0: We are common mystics. We find extraordinary stories in ordinary places. And we found another one in South Central Wisconsin.
1: I love a good mob story. Jen, please remind our listeners where we were starting from and what our original intention was.
0: Absolutely. We were leaving Sauk City right after our adventure for episode eight. It's true mm-hmm. and so our intention was still to find a story that was verifiable that would also allow us to give a voice to the voiceless so upon
1: leaving Sauk City what direction did we go in we actually had north we did and we noticed a sign for Devil's Lake right. and we were so going there we
0: both wanted to immediately yeah
1: so we turned off a road that would take us there and what impressions were you getting down that road as we approached
0: we went over some railroad tracks mm-hmm. and right away I got the feeling that the railroad had some connection to a story near Devil's Lake. Yes, you did. Yes, what you about did. you?
1: Oh, well, I was picking up as we were approaching the lake. We hadn't seen the lake yet, but I was like, this is a place where someone was murdered, but it was meant to look like a suicide. I remember you saying that. You said, how, yeah, you did. You said how
0: creepy it How was. creepy. Yeah. yeah. It, well, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So we continued driving, and we got to Devil's Lake. We did. We saw it, and what was your first impression?
1: Okay, immediately, as soon as I saw it, it was beautiful, and I knew I was not the first white person to see this and be like, oh, yeah, this is totally ours. We need to get these these Indian native savages off this land because we are taking it. And that was the impression I got immediately.
0: Right. And I know it's, it's harsh, but
1: that's really the energy I picked up on.
0: Well, you know what? That's probably the way those early white settlers would have felt about the natives living in the area. And that's actually
1: consistent with that research that we picked up on later. But we're ahead of
0: ourselves. (laughs) So we stop and we get out. We have Bug the Beagle.
1: Always Bug the Beagle.
0: And right away, we notice this area is just breathtaking. It's beautiful. The lake is dark and it's still And there's just enough light that afternoon to have it reflect the granite bluffs from all sides that surround it. It was so still and the bluffs are so high, it was almost like there was a mirror
1: at the bottom of a bowl. Do you know what I mean? I do. You had told me that there was no wind getting to the water, so it was picture still. Totally. Mm. Which was kind of a creepy vibe, to be quite honest. Honestly, I I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself, but there were two swimmers in the lake and it creeped me out that they were swimming in it. Yeah. It It was not a pro. I was like, what are you doing in the water? It seemed out of place. It sure did. So there was almost like a sacredness about it. As we were walking around, there was a sense of reverence. Everyone was quiet. The park was packed, but people weren't loud or rambunctious. Or It was really a quiet, serene kind of interaction, even among the people there.
0: Yeah, it was weird because it was a nature trail. And we're walking along, and people are, like, whispering to each other. Even the dogs were quiet. Like, they were just like... Like it's passing true. Each other, and there nobody was barking or misbehaving. It was really a strange, and strange. Even vibe.
1: if someone uh, talked with us or approached us because we had Bug the beagle, usually people will. They'll be like, "Oh, well, that's the cutest dog ever." It was in a very hushed tone. Yeah, it was strange. so anyway.
0: We walked around a little bit. It was cold and rainy, and I was, like, wrapped in a picnic blanket. Oh,
1: my God. She literally – I was like, do you want my coat? And she's like, no, I got it. She went to her truck, <laughs> the trunk of her car, and took a picnic blanket out that she wrapped herself in.
0: That's a true story. I'm not embarrassed of this. <laughs> I was. So, yes, I, was
1: I, I was. I was embarrassed of I it. <laughs> walked around wearing a picnic blanket.
0: Yes. It was fine. It, it was, was fine. fine. It was fine. <laughs> so we were walking around, and it, it, weirdest thing – do you remember what impression I was getting? Okay. I, was like, I do. Totally no. Weird. Okay.
1: Again, we were talking about we're in a sacred space. It's beautiful. It's <laughs> picturesque. And I'm like, okay, what are you picking up on?
0: And I'm like, um, I feel like the mob was here. What? Like the mafia. <laughs> I know. Well, I know. What? I can't explain it. You I'm can just
1: take the girl <laughs> out of Chicago, but you can't take the Chicago out of the girl. True
0: story. True story. <laughs> So, yeah, I know it's crazy, but I was totally picking up on a mafia sort of energy.
1: It's true. And when you said that, I immediately felt like we needed to look for a building that was also connected to the mafia. But it was like a haunted space, like known to be haunted, like that mobsters chilled in. And so we're like, we need to find the buildings on this property.
0: Right, right, right. So we got back in the car. And I
1: just want to remind you, on this day, Jennifer's driving on the Navigator, which means Jennifer's supposed to listen to me. This- I am supposed to say, Jennifer, this is where we're supposed to go, and Jennifer's supposed to do it. That's not Jennifer. <laughs> this, yeah,
0: this adventure was unusual because I was driving. hmm And we get back in the car. Now, this is a big area. The lake is a big lake. And so as you approach, you can go to the north side, the west side, the south side. We had been on the south side. And when we got back into the car, it was with the intention of driving around to another area to explore and look for this haunted structure that you were feeling was there.
1: Absolutely. But- So I'm like, Jen, make a right here. And she- I went straight, okay? I
0: I did not listen to you. But it it was a really congested area. There were bicycles, there were people pushing strollers, there were too many pedestrians, and someone was trying to turn left. And I was like, Oh, just screw it. I'm going I'm going straight, Jill. I'm going straight.
1: Ultimately, again, I'm glad you did, but quite frustrating <laughs> to be the youngest sister, someone so strong willed. <laughs>
0: so I said we could turn around. And you're like, No, no, no. Uh, you don't want to go straight. I, I was
1: I was a little passive I know, aggressive. You I totally was totally. I was like, No, if you wanna go straight, go straight. It's fine. I'm the navigator, but hey. A role reversal? <laughs> I totally listen to you all the time. Oh, whatever. <sighs> anyway, so, so we
0: end up driving <laughs> unwittingly into Baraboo, the town of Baraboo. Right. Which we did not know that that's where we were going, but because I missed that right, we ended up in town.
1: But again, when we got there, both of us were like, "I." we think that building's here.
0: Yes. So we're driving around Baraboo now and we're like, okay, the haunted building is here. Right. So we drove around and around. But this is the thing. It's raining.
1: We've already been in the car for like seven hours. That's true. Bug is sick. Yeah, he's, he's getting nauseous in the back seat. Right. So I'm, I'm wearing a picnic blanket. And Jennifer's wearing a picnic blanket. So I pull over and I'm trying to walk Bug in the rain because I'm like, Jen, is it okay if he pukes in your car? And I'm like, well, I prefer
0: he didn't.
1: <laughs> so I'm in the rain walking Bug. And at this point, it was like, we just need to call it. It quits. We just need to get home because right. it's, it starts raining cats and dogs plus we knew that we already had a story in Sox City. And Jennifer at this point as I was walking bug, she was already researching Angie right. and was already so knee deep in that story. Exactly. So I was worst, already obsessed. Yeah. Worst case scenario, we already had Sox City. We're ne- we're just wasting time now. Exactly.
0: So we got home and we started the research.
1: Yes, we did.
0: So right away, we look into Devil's Lake. This place seemed so special and so different. Right away, we wanted to find out what happened here. Mm -hmm. Lo and behold, there are ancient mounds built by the ancient mound builders, those Native Americans that lived here thousands of years before us. Right. Right. They had created mounds, but unlike the mounds that we just discussed in Rome City, these mounds were built in these intricate shapes, like of a man, of a bird, and different animals. And they are literally all over the area. Right. And they're on the state park, on the premises of the park.
1: Right. And again, these are contemporary. The mound builders are contemporary to the ancient Egyptians that built the pyramids.
0: Right. So we're talking long, long time ago. Right. And not only that, people aren't really sure why they built them, but it's pretty much understood to be true that they used them for ritualistic purposes and that they were sacred to them.
1: Absolutely. So that checked out totally. again.
0: And I wonder too if the people who are walking around knew that or if they just picked up on the strange vibe like we did. Absolutely. I really
1: believe they just picked up on the strange vibe. Totally. So at that point, I Googled – Devil's Lake Body.
0: Because you had that intuition that we were looking for a murder slash suicide. Right.
1: But what I found was a lot of articles within the past 20 years where people were going out to Devil's Lake and being inappropriate and end up either dying or seriously injuring themselves.
0: True. 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 Hiking off trail.
1: Like a known sleepwalker fell asleep on top of a bluff and ended up sleepwalking his way off the bluff. Oh, my God.
0: It, sneaking in after hours. Right. So they could walk around after clothes. Exactly. And ending up like either killing themselves or severely injuring themselves. Absolutely. Drunks.
1: Absolutely. People
0: drinking too much. And, and that's
1: fine. Too Drink much. too much, but don't do it in a sacred place on a bluff. But oh, that's
0: dangerous. Yeah, Exactly. And we also found a bunch of articles, or at least a few articles, imploring visitors to the lake to be respectful. Absolutely. You know, don't pitch your tent on the man mound. I
1: mean, (laughs) hard transition. (laughs) So I, at that point, did not think that our stories had anything to do with anything contemporary. You didn't? Uh, No, I did. Not at all. Did you? No, I didn't. I thought we were looking for something older. Yeah. So what I did was I accessed newspaper.com. Not a sponsor, but we're open to it. And I Googled Devil's Lake, Wisconsin bodies. Ooh. I know. And a newspaper article came up referencing the death of Otis Fry, whose body was found in the lake. And the article was discussing how they had... Engaged with a handwriting expert to determine whether or not a suicide note was authentic or not, or if Otis was murdered. 1927.
0: Okay. Mm. So at that point, were you confident that Otis
1: Fry was our guy? Absolutely. Even saying it now, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> so, Otis, tell me about Otis Jen.
0: Otis was born in Missouri. His dad was a doctor. He was a son of a doctor. He was a son of a doctor, <laughs> who um, he spent time on the military base in Washington State. But by 1918, he was living in Milwaukee with his wife and two female boarders. Interesting. Mm-hmm. By 1924. His wife had died under mysterious circumstances, having been poisoned by carbon monoxide. I know, and there's very little about that death.
1: As a matter of fact, I researched Ancestry and newspapers.com and newspaper archives, and I could not find any reference to her death other than in one later article about Otis's death, that it was suspicious. Well, it is suspicious. Well, absolutely, but go on.
0: Anyway. I digress. So, the year is 1927, and now Otis is a widower, and he's working as secretary treasurer in charge of the books for a Leo Abraham tobacco company in Milwaukee. Now, here's where the timeline begins. Thursday, November 10th, 1927. Otis pens a quote unquote suicide letter to his friends, leaving them his worldly possessions. What
1: were the name of his friends?
0: Um, it was addressed to Nell and May. Hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Friday, November 11th, one day later, the year is still 1927. Otis disappears from Milwaukee and will never return. M.I.A. Mm-hmm. Saturday, November 12th, 1927. Otis is seen driving into Devil's Lake Park with an unknown
1: woman. Mm, The man likes his ladies.
0: Yes, he does. Sunday, November 13th, 1927, Otis's car is found abandoned at Devil's Lake. Mm -hmm. Then a week later... November 18th, 1927, Otis becomes a fugitive because there is a warrant issued for his arrest for embezzling at least $500 from his place of employment, Leo Abraham's Tobacco Company in Milwaukee.
1: Well, that can't be the end of the story because how did he get in the lake? Exactly.
0: That's exactly the question. Mm. Well, nothing happens, Jill. There is nothing in the record between the middle of November and February. And then suddenly there's another flurry of newspaper articles. Tell
1: me. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, Wednesday, February 8th, 1928, a body is found in a farm 30 miles away from Devil's Lake in a place called Plain, Wisconsin.
1: And was that Fry because he was in the lake, wasn't he?
0: Not necessarily. Tell me. It was presumed to be Fry for several reasons. Would you like to hear about him? Please. (laughs) Well, the body had distinguishing physical marks that were consistent with Otis Fry's. For instance, there was a scar on his left cheek Mm -hmm. and he had a thumb deformity.
1: Like a hitchhiker's thumb?
0: No, not a hitchhiker's thumb. He had a thumb that was either smashed or missing, depending on different newspaper articles. But it was definitely a thumb deformity that this body had that was consistent with Otis Fry's deformity. Okay, okay. Also, he had certain items on his person. Okay, what items? What are There's we talking There was something called a Hamden watch. Apparently, it was a really unusual watch for the time, but this body had a Hamden watch on it. And it was also consistent with Otis's watch. Okay. And then it had a Smith & Wesson revolver mm. as well. It was dressed as a hunter. This the boy. body was the dressed? The body was dressed as a hunter, but conveniently was missing all sorts of identifying characteristics. No badges, no licenses, no ID, no wallet, nothing. Oh. The only thing was a matchbook in its pocket that was from a Milwaukee hotel.
1: What did they think the cause of death was?
0: Well, there was a
1: gunshot
0: wound right above the right eye. So, a wound to the
1: head, a gunshot wound to the head. Okay, so you said that this body was presumed. Did they anyone identify him as being Otis's, Otis Frye's body?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, the body was found on February 8th. On February twelfth, it was positively identified by one his roommate, the person who lived with Otis. That like, seems looked, legit. Looked at this body and said, "Yeah, that's him." Right. Also, the Undertaker, as it turns out, Jill, the under, I know the Undertaker was a personal friend of Otis Fry's, and so he was able to positively identify the body as being Otis. Anybody else? Yes. In fact, there were two. Leo Abraham Tobacco Company workers. One was the vice president and the other his brother, the Chapman brothers. And both of them worked intimately with Otis Fry and were able to positively identify him. Okay,
1: now this is the thing. We're still using the word presume. So there has to be someone who didn't believe that to be Otis. So who was that and why? Well, the district attorney
0: of Sauk County was not convinced that the body was that of Fry's. Mm. And also, the uh, police officers in Milwaukee, they never dropped the warrant. Interesting. So even though this body was found and partially positively identified, the warrant was never dropped. So not all of the authorities took this to be Fry.
1: So ultimately, was there any evidence discovered to support that suspicion?
0: The district attorney... He noted in one of the articles that the body that was found was that of an Italian. Ah. And Otis Fry was not of Italian descent. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So there was that discrepancy. But then again, for several months, there's nothing. No new developments. And this is just hanging there. This guy that a lot of people assume is Fry and some people don't.
1: Okay. And if nothing would have happened, the case maybe would have been gone cold. So now, according to my search, the next series of articles that I found was in July of that year. Can you please describe what they were reading all about in July 1928?
0: Well, July 13th, 1928, another body is found. Mm. This time it's floating in Devil's Lake. Mm. It was discovered by campers at the park. Now, this body was fully clothed in an overcoat, and in the pockets were several letters that were those of Otis Fry's. So mm. right like away. Like
1: sentimental things that he would have carried on his person. Exactly. Mm.
0: So right away, they were thinking, this must be Otis Fry.
1: And did they have any kind of supporting physical characteristics? The same ones
0: I discussed earlier, the deformity of the thumb and the scar on the cheek, mm-hmm. pointed again to Otis Fry. So we
1: have two Otis Fry's bodies. Exactly. Two bodies. That doesn't make sense because someone already positively identified him. So tell me, was this a mistake, a coincidence? What are your thoughts? Oh, my gosh. I don't know
0: how this could be a coincidence that the body found on the farm had a thumb deformity, a scar in the cheek, the type of watch that Otis carried, the type of gun that Otis had, and a matchbook linking him to Milwaukee, so- and... There's the positive
1: identification. So whoever made that positive identification did it purposefully, knowing that that really wasn't him. And I actually found evidence of that. Tell me. Because the people, one of the parties that identified Fry's body originally had mentioned that they knew absolutely that was Fry because of his short legs. Well, that Italian hunter body, that Italian hunter body was six feet tall. That's not short legs.
0: That's not short legs.
1: And it's unusually tall for men at the time. You got me an Italian hunter body. <laughs> <Ooh>.
0: <laughs> focus Jennifer, focus. <laughs> Say it again
1: slowly. <laughs> Are you back pitching a tent on the man mounds? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Stop it. Okay. So now. <laughs> There is an unusually tall Italian. (laughs) Is he tall? Tall, dark, and handsome. And people are not telling the truth. No. So let's talk about why.
0: Oh, my gosh. Jill, we're talking about the 1920s.
1: Set the stage of what in the AF is happening in the 1920s in Milwaukee.
0: Okay. Well, let's start with Chicago. Mm. Because Less. they are connected. Tell me how. Well, we all know that in the 1920s, Chicago was a hotbed of criminal activity during the Prohibition era, right? Right. And several well-known mobsters were affiliated with this outfit.
1: Frank Nitti, Bugs Moran. And of course, Al, Al Capone. Capone. Right?
0: Okay. Now, but what may be lesser known is that Milwaukee also had a crime outfit. Mm. Mm-hmm. Vito Gardalabini was the first boss in Milwaukee. And in the 20s, it was his son, Peter or Pete Gardalabini, who was in power until 1927. Mm. I know. Interesting, right? That, Tell me what happens. Mm, I will. So in 1927, um, one of the bosses died and... Power changed hands three times. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the uh,
1: commission mm-hmm.
0: determined that the Milwaukee family would answer to and remain under the power of the Chicago outfit, i.e., Al, Al Capone. Exactly. And Al Capone had been running the Chicago Crime Syndicate for two years already at that point. Okay. Since 1925.
1: When he was 26. What were you doing at 26? I was
0: not running a crime syndicate. It
1: would have been a lot cooler if you were. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, the Milwaukee crime family was tight with a mobster named Joseph Aiello. Okay. Joseph Aiello was tight with the Gardalo because of a homeland connection to Sicily and also through marriage alliances. But Aiello was also a rival of Al Capone's.
1: It was said that Aiello had helped orchestrate a series of attempts on Al Capone's life. And in response to those attempts, Al Capone had orchestrated the St. Valentine's Day massacre.
0: Oh my gosh, you're kidding. Swear to God. There is a, a interesting and amusing anecdote involving the two. Tell me. The year was 1927. Al Capone and Aiello have a meeting in a suburb of Milwaukee, okay? It was all organized by Pete
1: garda And what are we assuming this meeting was to do? Well, assuming get on the same
0: page, Mm, right? Make friends, make nice. Right, mend fences, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm talking like
1: this. We apologize to any Italians and Italian-Americans We do. Please continue.
0: Anyway, so they meet at the home of the pianist who worked at uh, Garda Labini's Monte Carlo Club. So they're in this man's house, right? Mm -hmm. They're having dinner. They're breaking bread together. Mm -hmm. A symbol of good faith. Mm -hmm. Ask me how it goes. How did it go? It was
1: not successful. (laughs) How do
0: you know it wasn't successful? It ended with a huge food fight on both sides. (laughs) Shut up. It didn't go well. I'm
1: assuming they checked their weapons at the door, like weapons check, because I do not think spaghetti would have. Their weapon of choice.
0: Agreed. Anyway, didn't go well. And then, like I said, by the end of 1927, Al Capone is in charge not only in Chicago, but also in Milwaukee.
1: So, what does that mean for companies in Milwaukee that have been doing business with the former crime syndicate there?
0: Think about it, Jill. It means that if you were a business that had dealings with the local crime syndicate in 1927, now there's a new boss in town. Mm. The first thing the new boss is going to do is go into his assets. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And bring his people, his bookkeepers in, and take a look at what's going on.
1: And that kind of investigation would have been done at Leo Abraham's tobacco company. One could assume. Because Leo Abraham's company was located just a stone's throw away from where the hotbed of Mob activity was. Exactly. The third ward. The historic third ward Mm. of Milwaukee. So this guy Otis, he's doing the books. He's doing
0: the books. And guess what? He's also skimming a little, maybe a lot. Ugh, uh, tell me, this guy. Oh my gosh. Well, here's what we know. He's involved with a lot of women. Yes. Like how many different women's names came up in our research? There's Natalie who used to visit him at his work. There's Josephine who was a waitress on East Water Street, just down the street. Just down the street. And Anna Bus, Anna, the showgirl, the performer.
1: And Helena Miller, she was a co-owner of his vehicle. The vehicle that
0: was found at Devil's Lake. Why do you think she was a co-owner?
1: Because if you have money that you can't legally say that you had earned, you're going to need someone else's money to purchase things, big things like cars and homes. Mm,
0: Someone else's money or someone else's name?
1: Someone else's name to Mm. account for that extra money you have.
0: Oh, Interesting. So intuitively, Jill, what do you think he was into?
1: Oh, my gosh. So he's been skimming off the top for years, right? What's he doing with this money? Well, I really think he's trying to build a little nest egg for himself, but he enjoys having money, and he is showering the local women Mm. with it. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. What else do you think's going on? Well, you know, he has those scars. Oh, and
0: that deformity. Of the thumb. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And what we do know is from records of his draft notice in 1918, he had no physical peculiarities That's noted. right. So sometime between 1918 and 1927,
1: maybe he got into some scrapes with the local outfit. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And as a means of straightening him out, they either slashed his thumb broke it burned his face to keep him in line right as retribution or from- it could have been a woman's husband yeah anyone 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 okay right so what do you make of these embezzlement charges
0: i i believe it
1: 100 percent.
0: i believe it so 1927 chicago takes over right and suddenly Otis's dealings are being looked at Mm. by not only the mobsters, like the mobster.
1: So in the past where he may have gotten straightened out with a scar and a bum thumb, now he could be murdered for this.
0: Right. So Jill, what do you think he does?
1: Intuitively, Mm -hmm. this is the scenario.
0: Okay. Because we have no facts to back this up.
1: Absolutely not. (laughs) All right. Glad we go. So- Otis is freaked out. They're on to him. He knows they're on to him. He calls a local girl that he's been dealing with for years. If you wink, wink got me. I got gotcha. you. And she's all cozied up to some local mafia guy who's a low-level dude in the area. So he calls her for help. He's like, hey, gal, Dal, I need your help. I'm in big. I got this money and they're after me. I need to get out of town. And as she hangs up the phone, she turns to her mob boyfriend and says, Hey, this guy needs our help, and he got loot. And in that moment, they devise a plan to steal his money and do away with Otis. Ooh, so what do they do? Well, they say, hey, Otis, to gain his trust, they plant identifying characteristics on a body that was already hit from the mob.
0: Wait a minute. I thought this guy died from a bullet in the head.
1: It turns out that this guy was riddled with bullets like Ah. a Tommy gun. A machine (laughs) gun? Yes. And they thought that because this guy was so decomposed that no one would notice all those little bitty holes. And then they used a revolver to shoot the guy in the head to make it look like some guy committed suicide. Mm -hmm. Planted matches on him, jacked up his thumb and burnt his face. Wow. And this made Otis feel comfortable. He's like, "Ah, oh, they really do got my back. So he goes, gets his money. And then the girl, the dame he was calling for help, was like, hey, we're going to meet you here at this location. And that's where we're going to help you get away. So Otis and the girl go to that location. But instead of her friends coming to help Otis get away. At Devil's Lake. At Devil's Lake. What happens? They end up killing him, tying his neck around a tire bashing his head and then throwing him in the lake. That's what happened. Oh, my gosh. And how do we believe, or is there supporting evidence to this theory at the lake? There is. Hell. Well, Otis Fry's body
0: was found in an area where he would have needed a boat to access. Mm. So the fact that no boat was ever found meant that somebody must have taken him there and left him there.
1: Also, there was no water reported in his lungs at the time of the autopsies, so it's not as if he was conscious before he hit the water.
0: Good point. He, it was found, died because of a blow to the head or a crushed skull.
1: Oh my gosh. So absolutely this was not suicide. Also,
0: like, if you are going to commit suicide and, like, weight yourself down with a car tire, would you tie it around your neck?
1: Absolutely not.
0: Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. Okay, you would tie it somewhere else, like around your ankle. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Also, the dame was never found.
1: She totally fled. So, Jen, in the meantime, what is happening with Leo... Abraham's Tobacco Company.
0: As soon as Otis goes missing, they call the authorities, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, Um, police, this guy's been embezzling and he's been embezzling a lot. You better look into this wrongdoing. Yeah, and he's
1: been doctoring this our books the whole time. Uh-huh. I what can this mean? So what does this do for Leo Abraham? Abraham's Tobacco Company. Well, it legitimizes them, right? It gives them a legitimate reason why their books are cooked. Exactly. So it's not our fault. Not at all. It's all
0: this guy. He becomes a scapegoat.
1: Mm -hmm. How convenient. And what else happens?
0: Well, especially when they find a body. Well, now it's put to rest. All right. Well, it was wrongdoing. You got the guy. Let's Mm. just, you know, go to the next. He's dead. Right. R.I.P. Right. Mm. Let's just move on. Sucks that he stole. Oh, well. (laughs) <laughs> that ends the investigation, right?
1: Absolutely. Mm, how
0: convenient.
1: Are we oh, d- that's a lot. Debrief.
0: When we were arriving at Devil's Lake, I got the impression that the railroad had something to do with it. Yeah,
1: tell me about that.
0: What's interesting about the railroad in Baraboo, Wisconsin, is that those tracks went directly from Chicago to Baraboo. Shut up. No joke. And not only that, remember when we were in Baraboo looking for a haunted location? I do. Guess what? What? There is a haunted location, a purportedly haunted location. Who's haunting it? Well, it's called the Old Baraboo Inn. Mm-hmm. And back in the days, like, i.e., the 1920s, it was also a brothel. And it had a hidden back staircase. That's where amazing. Go- I know, right? Mm. Where you could go up and, like, do whatever you wanted to do. But the point is, one of the people who used to stop there was
1: al capone Capone.
0: and apparently he is one of the spirits who is haunting the old baraboo inn i
1: guarantee you that al capone (laughs) is not spending his afterlife there i'm sure it's a wonderful place it sounds cool i'm gonna visit but al he's not there
0: so obviously i have the mafia connection and you were picking up on the murder that was meant to look like a suicide absolutely so
1: where does that leave us now it brings us back to the note. It brings back to the note that originally got our attention to look at Otis because it was the handwriting expert in the article that authenticated that suicide note as being real.
0: And his death was subsequently deemed a suicide.
1: So I am so convinced that this man is murdered. Please.
0: <laughs> would you like me to tell you what the note said? I would love it. Dear friends Nell and May, I have been accused of a crime that I am not in a position to vindicate myself from. The evidence seems to be against me. I owe the company nothing. However, it is laid upon me, and the stigma of it upon a name that I have always been proud of makes it useless to continue on. If it be cowardly, well, and good, I will accept it as such. But to face the world even though I could clear myself, which... From all indications I cannot, it would haunt me until I died. There's more, but that's the gist of it. Okay. So,
1: okay. So, intuitively, I'm not feeling this as a suicide note.
0: I don't think it reads like a suicide note at all.
1: What are you thinking?
0: Well, it it reads like a guy who's running away. Absolutely. Running away more than, you know. Killing himself. Exactly. He's not
1: offing himself. Well,
0: I mean, later in the note, he does leave his possessions. But if you're going to run away, you you're... want someone to take care of your stuff too. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't buy it. I don't think it sounds like a suicide note.
1: So who do you think we were meant to give a voice to? Do you think it was Otis?
0: I do think it was Otis. We don't really
1: identify with Otis at all. You know,
0: he made such bad decisions Mm. and he lived a life that was really embroiled in crime and scandal. I mean you know, I mean we wouldn't hang
1: out with Otis. But he did need a voice.
0: He did need a voice, and officially, like I said, his death was ruled a suicide, but I mean, I'm 100% positive that he was murdered. He made bad decisions. He behaved foolishly, but it doesn't mean that he, you know, deserved to be a scapegoat and deserved to be murdered in the way that he was.
1: Also, later on, it was described in an article that he stole thousands from the company, not just 500. Mm -hmm. How convenient, by the way. Absolutely. How convenient. As the books weren't adding up. They're like, that Otis.
0: Right. And thousands back in 1927 would probably be like a million or more. Right. In today's money.
1: So he was unfairly blamed for things as the future went on. Right. So Otis.
0: As much as he probably was a criminal, he was also in the wrong place at the wrong time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You shouldn't mess with the mob though though. Mm, I'm you sh- saying. You shouldn't have done that, especially Al Capone. Ugh. Jill, tell the people where they can find us. Well, I am excited to say that we added a place for people to listen in. Tell. Amazon Music. Woo-hoo. Yay! So not only can you listen in on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Play, Apple Podcast, where you can leave us a positive review, but also check out our website and find us on Facebook. Our website is commonmystics.net. Thank you for listening, everybody. Wait, there's more. We have to say hello, India. We love you. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Thank you, India. Thank you. Good night. Good Thanks. Night.